Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And after this last week, I felt like I needed a guest with the passion and history of the Houston Rockets coursing through his blood the way it courses through mine a little bit. So back with us is the man behind the powerhouse Houston Rockets fan site, clutchfans.net. If he had his own reality show, we'd call him uh, the Tillman Fertitta of Clutch fans, David Hardesty. You're, you're working on a reality show, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, thanks for having me on, Robert. Well, yeah, owner and founder of ClutchFans.net. And uh, first of all, David, boy, it was such an emotional weekend for all of us Rockets fans. Rudy T going into the Hall of Fame and, and watching him give a speech. And, and then also, of course, Friday with Worrell, the surprise retirement the middle of last week, maybe not a surprise to the fact that he would be ready to retire, but I think the surprise that it was going to be this year. And let me just start off by asking you about Bill Worrell, David, because you and I have been Rockets fans pretty much since they started in Houston. And our first memories, I'm sure it's for you the same way, the first memories that we've got watching the games, it's Bill Worrell. And, you know, I was just talking about on our show on Monday it's like when you hear Bill Worrell's voice, he connects it all together. He connects Moses Malone and Rudy Tomjanovich and Calvin Murphy, the, you know, all the way to Akeem to Yao Ming and Tracy McGrady, all the way up to James Harden. It, it just feels like with Bill Worrell leaving, this is like a big hole in the heart of Rockets fans. I mean, it's, to me, it's way more emotional than when James Harden left. I mean, that that's the real sorrow for me of this, this season, actually. Yeah. You know, Bill Worrell is, is the voice of Houston. It's certainly of the Rockets. Um, you know, he, I mean, he used to do the Astros. I mean, I still remember from HSE days when he would, uh, you know, cover the Astros as well. And I just always looked at when I, you know, when I turned on the TV and I saw a, a home broadcast, it was Bill Worrell. I mean, he was just Houston sports. Um, and he just became a lovable character, um, for the entire city, really. And I think, you know, you, you probably saw that this season more than ever because he was just so laid back and and not in a malicious way, but sort of had that, you know, hey, I, I know this team's going nowhere, but, you know, uh, this is I'm at the end of my rope and I'm just going to let you guys hear the truth. And I think he he um, he was representing the fans because he he had that same uh, sort of passion and love for the team. And so, you know, I can also add, you know, I reported five years ago, he was planning on retiring a, a year out. He was going to give it one more year, possibly two. And the, and the report outside of that part was actually accurate because Ackerman I reported that Ackerman was going to uh, take over half of the, the season, um, you know, do the um, road games and, and Bill Worrell was just going to do the home games. And that was the actual plan. Uh, you know, Matt Thomas was taking over the radio and, and the, the, the uh, PA, but I think the Rockets became good enough, and this is just a theory at this point, that Bill just kept thinking, one more year, one more year, we can do this. And my guess is, you know, seeing Harden leave and, and just, you know, so much change, you know, Tad Brown, Daryl Morey, uh, Mike D'Antoni, just everything, um, uh, you know, changing. I think he just felt that was this was the time. You know, 20 years ago, I was working for the Rockets and I got to work a little bit with Worrell. Not not much, but there was a story that Worrell voiced that was a story that I wrote, you know, so I was there, you know, kind of dealing with him, trying to figure out the best way to word things and going over it with him. And it was just, you know, something where I felt like he was exactly who I wanted him to be. I mean, David, you, you've had a chance to talk with Bill, I'm sure, over the years. What, what's been your experience with just being around the guy? You know, uh, only a few times, to be honest. I mean, I, I've I've talked with him, but not too many times on a, on a personal level. But I do remember uh, the first time I got to actually meet him was in 1999. Um, and I was actually uh, talking with Tim Frank and, and getting to know different people with the team. And, and Bill came in. It was at a training camp in Austin, uh, came and sat down with us. And he was um, as charming as can be. I mean, just, you know, he was hilarious. And Tim Frank had mentioned, Hey, you know, I don't know if you, you're familiar with clutch fans and, and, uh, you know, the website. And, and I remember him telling me that he didn't have anything other than a typewriter, you know, that he, he had no, uh, you know, computer or, you know, obviously it wasn't really phones back then, but just, you know, he, so he really wasn't familiar with the online game. Um, and, uh, you know, he just laughed about it. I, th I thought he was, uh, uh, just a, 
a very charming, um, knowledgeable guy about the game and really brought that to the fans in the broadcast. The one thing that just I really feel like we're going to miss with Bill Worrell, David, is the fact that he was the one person on the broadcast crew and maybe the one person on any Houston sports broadcast crew that could criticize the team in a way, sort of give you something that was maybe a little bit negative because it seems like, you know, with all sports, these local broadcasters, and specifically it seems that that way in Houston, and and, and they're thought of like this nationally as well, that the, the Rockets are kind of a homer crew, but Bill Worrell could say, Hey, what is he doing there? What's going on there? What, what, you know, what he was the only one that could get away with that. And and that's something that I I feel like as a Rockets fan, I'm just going to miss the fact that, you know, Bill Worrell could get upset at them. Yeah. You know, Bill had, uh, I think he, he just had so much stature, so much clout. I think he was able to get away with that. I mean, I think, you know, when, when the Rockets weren't uh, giving you maximum effort, he would call them out. He would say that. I mean, I think, uh, you know, he would be willing to criticize Harden at times. He would just be willing to give it to you straight. And I think that was part of the allure that we had, you know, and the thing, the draw in, in listening to him. And yeah, I mean, you know, he's just given us so many great moments. I mean, the whole bamboozled line about, you know, when, when uh, Akeem Olajuwon was basically torching David Robinson, that came from Worrell. And, and, you know, there's just so many things. The dream shape. Was that, did he coin that actually? I think that was him. Yeah. I wasn't sure that was him, but that's uh, interesting if that's the case. Yeah. I mean, we're going to miss him for sure. The thing that I saw that was so interesting was when he was on his last broadcast, he was interviewing Tad Brown and Tad Brown. I, I don't know if it was Tad that brought this up or Bill, but there was a story that the first time that Tad started the job there, Bill was doing the game. The Rockets got killed by 30 and Tad called upset. You got to be so negative about the Rockets. And to me, that's, I guess maybe that says a lot about Bill, but in a way I, I just thought, uh, and by the way, Bill just said, Hey, cal- calm down, Tad. That, that was what he, they were saying in the conversation. He says like, calm down. Don't worry about it. Uh, but that, <laughs> to me, that says said a lot because, you know, Tad Brown's leaving. So I, I feel like, you know, I, I hope you could be honest with this, but there was times where I just felt like with Tad in charge, and maybe this was just the Rockets' philosophy, but this has gone through Les and Tillman now. You know, the broadcast crew, it's kind of vanilla, and, and Bill was the one that could give it a little bit of oomph. And, you know, and when it's so, I mean, you as a fan, you're like, I, I, I know what's going on. You, you, you can be negative, and it's not going to stop me from being a fan. I mean, that's, you want, the guys that are calling the games to feel like you do and get upset when they're doing something wrong and, you know, point it out like, Hey, this is going like, I can't bury my head in the sand. If this guy sucks. I mean, what, what fan ever thinks that way? And and how are you going <laughs> to not like the team? Because the broadcaster is saying what you're saying at home. <laughs> it's a fine line, right? I mean, obviously, you know, they work for the team and they're there to, I don't want to say promote, that's the wrong word, but to call the games and, and, and hopefully bring a good experience around the Rockets. But at the same time, I, I think you're right. I don't think you should fear uh, those guys bringing a little bit of negativity at times if warranted, because it, it's not, you know, I've always said this on Clutch fans as well. It's not, um, you know, I guess I should say there's people who think that the, the comments on the board are all positive, And then there's people who think all the boards on the on there or all the comments on the board are all negative. You, you see this at the same exact time. People see what they want to see. And it's it doesn't really matter if it's positive or negative. What you really want to avoid is apathy where people just don't care. So it's it's that passion is shown, you know, whether they're telling you how great the Rockets are or how poorly they played. It's really about, um, you know, bringing out the passion in fans. And so, you know, we just saw one of the worst seasons in Rockets history and very, very tough for, for diehards to keep watching given how many players came out and all that stuff. So, and didn't even play and, and what their goals were. So I think it's those, those fans are still sticking around the diehards. Uh, and you know, if they're telling you something negative about the team, that doesn't mean they're, they're not going to be with it next year. Yeah. And I also feel like that, you know, if you're a Rockets fan and you're, you're going, um, oh, I'm mad at this guy because he's telling me the truth of what's going on. I mean, that's it's kind of ridiculous. I, you know, I mean, I know there's people that are want to be Peggy positive all the time. There, there are those people, but everybody that I've ever 
been associated with and friends with and involved in sports, I mean, we're talking about, you know, what's wrong with the team first, because you want to talk about what's wrong, because if you don't acknowledge it and you don't try to correct it, then you're not going to win that champion. You're always trying to get better so you can win that championship. And what you're focusing on sometimes might be the negatives, but you still enjoy the positives at the same time. Yeah, no, and I agree with that. I think I think World uh, did that really well. He balanced it really well. And and honestly, uh, you know, just give my honest two cents. I think Ackerman and and uh, Matt Bullard do a great job of this as well. I mean, those guys very very passionate about the team, and I think it shows. Um, yeah, I mean, we're we're losing an icon for sure in Bill World, but I think you're going to see, um, you know, that same type of passion from those two guys moving forward. Um, you know, Ackerman's been doing this for. A long time now, radio and and I guess the last five years now, um, all the uh, the road games on TV. So I, I think the Rockets have an experienced crew that's going to step right in. But you know, you're always going to miss Bill Worrell, uh, you know, just just the same way we miss Gene Peterson when he left. In sports, it's always changing. Things are always moving on and all of that sort of thing. But I, I'm hitting 50 this year. I'm going to be 50 years old, and the fact that Bill Worrell has lasted. Pretty much my entire Rockets fandom is incredible. And Rudy T is gone, but still around the NBA and still around Houston. And, you know, we saw him with the Houston Hall of Fame speech a few years ago, a couple of years ago. And so Rudy's another one of those guys, David, where I'm watching the Hall of Fame speech and just so much pride with Rudy because there's no more rocket through and through. I mean, maybe you could say Calvin Murphy or something like that, but you know, not just that, but you see Rudy and he's getting older and you're, you're going, Oh, there, there's not many more of this with Rudy. There's not many more speeches. There's not many more times we're seeing him in public. I mean, I'm seeing Akeem and Calvin helping him to the stage and, you know, it was, it was rough to just to watch that a little emotionally. Cause I, I'm just thinking, not just that Rudy got in the Hall of Fame, but we're we're running out of days with Rudy Tomjanovich, you know? Yeah, and, and this, you know, him going into the Hall of Fame is been deserved for a long time. And I'm really glad they righted this wrong and made this happen. It's absolutely deserved. I also think he should be a rocket for life. I mean, he was with this team for 33 years. He should be salaried until he no longer absolutely wants to even be associated with the team. I, I just... That's a guy, in my opinion, who could be an incredible ambassador for the team. And, you know, as we get older, there are more and more fans that, you know, weren't even born when the Rockets won the title or were so young, they certainly have no memories of it. So it's nice to reconnect with that that title team. I, I personally wish he was, I think he's doing some work with the Timberwolves now. I would love to see him back with the Rockets in some capacity. And it's tough, right? Because Les Alexander's no longer here. You know, there's there's really not a lot to come back to that as far as the Rockets organization that he would be familiar with, but uh, I would love to see him back with the team in some capacity. Yeah. It's really surprising. I mean, Gerson Rosas had a relationship with Rudy because he was with the Rockets for all those years. So that's why he's up with the Timberwolves, but I just don't see why the Rockets where where Rudy is right now. And he's not asking for a head coaching job, but you know, why can't they find a space for Rudy Tomjanovich in the last few years to be part of this organization because, I mean, his personnel knowledge, maybe not the best, but his people knowledge is as good as any in the game. I don't know how he is as uh, a scout or anything like that, but that's not what I would want him to do. I would want him just to be around the team and, and just to impart his, you know, just his personality and that positivity that he brings. And, you know, Rudy T just doesn't his whole career is about not getting enough credit. I mean, honestly, you know, his playing career, I think, was overshadowed a little bit by the punch. A lot of people don't look don't realize how quite how good he was as a player with the Rockets. And as a coach, I think, you know, maybe people overlook him because of Akeem and then Clyde coming in. And and, and obviously those guys deserve an enormous amount of credit. I mean, the stars, uh, you know, do the heavy lifting. But, I mean, you can look at Rudy Tomjanovich throughout his career as a coach, came right in and, and turned that team around. Um, you know, what he did in the 95 playoff series, uh, you know, basically putting Robert Ory on Charles Barkley. And, and I don't want to say he absolutely invented the stretch four because there's probably some other times where people could uh, take that into consideration. But it, he, he basically took a small forward with length 
and threw him up against a power forward because people thought without Otis Thorpe, who they traded away that year, they, were, they wouldn't survive. And he made that work. And, and so much of modern M- the NBA today is, is based on really the philosophies that, that, that uh, Tom Janovich implemented, which stretched the floor around, you know, around a big man. And obviously it's a little bit different now with uh, a ball dominant player really being that, that focus as opposed to the big man in the post. But, you know, he deserves a ton of credit for, for that. I mean, I think the Rockets were the first team under Tom Janovich to hit 400 threes in a season. And also when he had Katino Mobley and Steve Francis, he was heavily criticized for, for running heavy isolation ball. Uh, and they, they would, you know, isolate on the side of the floor and, and they were trying to come up with rules to, to stop this. And, you know, now, I mean, certainly what you saw with uh, Harden in, in the, the past few years with the Rockets was heavy, heavy isolation ball. So I, I don't know. I just think he was a little bit ahead of his time. He made some, some moves that were mimicked by others. And I think the game has changed a lot in part because of some of the things Rudy Tomjanovich did as a coach. Yeah, you mentioned Robert Ori in the stretch four and what he was doing there. And he mentions Ori in his speech and surprises a lot of people by saying Ori should be in the hall of fame. Maybe not surprises Rockets fans with that statement, but what did you think when when Rudy said that? And and what do you think about Rudy uh, and his opinion that Robert Ory should be in the Hall of Fame? I absolutely think Robert Ory should be in the Hall of Fame. I, but but you know we need to define what the Hall of Fame is. I mean Chris Webber's now going into the Hall of Fame. Ben Wallace is going into the Hall of Fame, and, and those guys were great players. I'm not taking anything away from them, but but what does the Hall of Fame mean? Is it is it literally just a baseline of stats that you have to have because uh, you know, or is it just about winning? I mean, I'm sure Draymond Green is going to go into the Hall of Fame. I don't think just based on his numbers, he deserves to go into the Hall of Fame. Um, Robert Ory, if you look at just his numbers, wouldn't merit it. But I mean, there is no doubt on three different organizations, he played a significant and key role in winning those titles seven times. I mean, that's not a coincidence. That's no, not, not a fluke. He's not, uh, you know, just riding stars, even though he did play with Kobe and Shaq. He played with Akeem uh, Clyde, and he also played with Tim Duncan. But he hit huge shots to to uh, to win big playoff games. To me, he absolutely belongs in there. That You know, that's just it's not just about the titles alone, but how, the role that he played in winning them. And I think he he belongs in there. I think Rudy made a great point to bring him up. Yeah, it's real weird. I, I, I am not so sure about it, but the Basketball Hall of Fame is very strange, and I have no idea uh, what they're doing there with a lot of these guys because some of them it's based on college. And To me, I would rather just have an NBA Hall of Fame and separate that from college and international stuff. And I mean, they try to it, it tries to be everything to everybody, but you know, we just saw Ben Wallace get in. Now, ben Wallace was... Uh, four-time defensive player of the year, but his stats are nothing special. S- same with Dennis Rodman, although, you know, Rodman was an elite defensive player every single year, not just in the postseason, but in the regular season. Or you can just say, well, he was just more or less a postseason guy because if you look at his regular season numbers, and you know this, David, it's it's just like seven points per game, uh, you know, it's it's nothing spectacular. He shot 42.5% from the field, 34% from three. Um, there, there's nothing special in it. So it's kind of like Reggie Jackson getting into the Baseball Hall of Fame, but he was a real maybe mediocre or <laughs> so regular season player. I don't know what you would call it, but that that's what I think of. And you're right. It's a, it's an interesting point. You could probably make a case either way, but it's not a coincidence that he's hit so many big shots with so many teams. I mean, he's got the nickname Big Shot Bob for a reason. I, I just, you know, if you believe in clutch moments or or making the big play, you know, making things happen when you absolutely have to make them happen, playing above yourself. I mean, that's Robert Ory all the way. So I wouldn't necessarily feel like he was robbed if he didn't get in there, but I think he, I think he belongs in there. And I think as far as how you, uh, you know, set a baseline for the hall of fame, it's kind of like, how, how do you vote for the MVP? I mean, you know, to me, I think there needs to be some standards or, or, you know, criteria outlined as opposed to just who do you like? Um, and, um, you know, to me though, I, I think, Robert Ory belongs in the Hall of Fame. I think what he did throughout his career, 
um, is what the NBA is all about, winning titles and, and playing significant role in it. So that's just my take on it. Another thing that I was thinking about when Robert Ory was being discussed this week is the Rockets need some luck. They need some magic. And I don't know if there's any luckier Rocket than Robert Ory and anybody that seemed to have magic all the time than Robert Ory. And he still loves the Rockets. Send him to the lottery, David. Send him <laughs> to the lottery. I keep trying to downplay it in some way. This is the biggest thing the organization has had in a long time. An absolutely abysmal, absolutely terrible trade made at the time and even worse now. And they're facing the consequences because of one digit, one number. It's top four protected. The, the Rockets can only fall as, as far as five. So if they had had a top five protection, they'd be golden right now. But instead, they have top four protection and they only have a 52%, 52.1% chance of getting in that top four. So it is essentially a coin flip or you know slightly better odds than that. This is scary because if it doesn't happen and they end up with the fifth pick and then they fall, you know, they give that to OKC and fall back to 18 where Miami is. You just punted your rebuild for another year. Bottom line. I mean, you, you're going to get some, some picks and you can hope to, to strike gold once or twice with, with some of those picks. But right now you just need to get in the top four to get a very, very good player. There's probably five excellent prospects and four that you are no brainers in my opinion this is so important i think they they get a potential star player the coin flip more or less goes their way and if they don't we're just waiting another year more or less for for real draft bonuses or rewards because it, it would be a really brutal season to, to go through this and only come away with the 18th pick i was trying to remember this do you remember who they sent to get Yao Ming, who was the representative for the Rockets when they won the lottery there? Was it Steve Francis? I I, I honestly don't remember, but I thought it was Steve. Steve's around. <laughs> he's in town still. He would go, I bet, <laughs> if you asked him. I know he's been before, but I can't remember if that was the year he, he was or not. But I thought it was Steve Francis, if I remember right. I mean, if you and of course, if you remember, I know Katino Mobley had, had gone on some podcast or show or something along those lines and said, he felt that they should trade the pick for Lamar Odom and and, and roll with that. But uh, yeah, those guys, um, I thought Steve was there to represent the Rockets when they won it. In a way, the Rockets are kind of paying for starting the whole lottery because remember, they were the ones that tanked two years in a row to get Samson and Elijah one. So. Yeah, <laughs> they are 100% responsible for it. And what I've noticed, Robert, all year on Twitter, on, on the boards, is there's just a lot of fans who think, Oh, you just got to keep losing. You just got to keep losing. And then, you know, you, they feel really confident about getting Cade Cunningham and, and the number one pick. And the the odds, the numbers are just not there anymore. You know, the top three, they tr they changed these, these odds, these possibilities in 2019. And the bottom three teams in the league have the same exact lottery odds. And it's like a 14% chance for each team to get the number one pick. That's, that's just not great odds. I think Cleveland um, has been in the bottom three each of the last two years. And they didn't get in the top four either either one. And I think if I'm not mistaken, there's been six bottom three teams in, in the last two years. And I think it's exactly half. Half have been in the have ended up in the top four and half haven't. So it is it's just I've tried every which way to, to to figure this out and it's just it's a coin flip. That's what it is. Yeah, just to be clear, it's fourteen percent for the first pick, and that was the best that you can do. Period. Obviously, they're the worst team in the NBA. Then it's 13.4% for the second pick, 12.7 for the third, 11.9 for the fourth, and then 47.9 for the fifth. So they're most likely of all five spots by a long shot to be the fifth pick in the in the lottery. But if you add the other four, which is where you want to be, like mm -hmm. you said, it's 52% or 52.1%, I guess, to be exact. But yeah, basically, it comes down to a coin flip. And I don't... I don't care if it's number one. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I would love to see the Rockets get the number one pick. I, I will be doing cartwheels if it's just top four. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. It's, if it's top four, that that swap with OKC just vanishes. They get nothing this year. It wouldn't be as disastrous for the as it would be for the Rockets if the Rockets end up sending the fifth pick to OKC. But it would be pretty big loss for OKC if if Houston ends up in the top four because that thing does that doesn't carry over. And then the Rockets have two years to do whatever they want before that those draft pick obligations kick back in again. You know, they owe a, 
top four protected first round in 24 and in 26. And then there's a, a swap in 25, which is top 10 protected a little bit better than the swap this year. But I have to also say, you know, just tip of the cap a little bit to Daryl Morey for even throwing protection on it, because most of those trades at that time didn't include protection. The Lakers and I think the Clippers or, or uh, most of them, those picks did not have protection. And the Rockets probably thought to themselves, ah, what do we care? We're, we're certainly going to be ahead of OKC this year. And, you know, look how fast things change. So at, at a minimum, that protection's on there. But boy, do I wish they had top five protection because we'd be just fine right now if that was the case. Yeah, and OKC, they're uh, the fifth worst team in the NBA. So their odds of getting the first pick are actually 11.5%, just like a minuscule amount lower than the Rockets. And if they somehow get the first pick and then knock you down and away, kick you out of the top four, they would have the first pick and the fifth pick because they would get the Rockets pick. So it would be real spit in your eye with this whole Russell Westbrook trade. And and obviously we know that neither one of us were big fans of that deal. So yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, if you watched Russ play against uh, Boston the other night, yeah, you, you, <laughs> you remember, you remember what it was like last year in the playoffs. So um, if they end up handing the fifth pick over to OKC, it's just going to add to the resume of that trade and disastrous uh, about the best way I could put it. So let's hope it, uh, goes the Rockets way. David, I've got a lot of hate on Twitter over my comments on Kevin Porter a couple of months ago. I said that, you know, I felt like you might be out of the league within a year or two because I just don't see, I guess, what everybody else sees. My concern is about this is a guy with a lot of bad habits that it's real hard to change. I mean, I, I watch somebody that doesn't get back on defense, doesn't put a whole lot of effort on defense. I hear people say, oh, he's a good finisher, but I don't see it. I don't see him as a really good finisher a lot of times around the rim. Maybe I'm not seeing what everybody else is. I mean, the numbers early on said he was a good finisher, but I think as time went on, uh, it wasn't the case. But also, I just don't see a guy that mentally is going to be able to handle this. If he figures it out, it, it could take years and years because he's got a long way to go in my mind. Well, you know what I'm worried about with him, Robert, is if they end up getting a guy who is ball dominant. Now, this would be a great problem to have, right? Say you got Cade Cunningham or you got a Jalen Suggs, something along those lines, somebody who requires the ball in his hands to make things happen. Now, you can't have more than one player like that. But if you're trying to develop KPJ to be that guy, how is he going to handle it? That's that's my question. Not that it can't be done. This this can absolutely be done. But like, you know, maturity is the big issue right now. Is he mature enough to be able to handle that? Could he take a step back and not be the guy um, with the Rockets? Because he's he's been getting that kind of attention and been sort of hearing that type of praise since he's been here. So that's one question I think I have with him. I don't think he's aggressive enough, as as strange as that is to say. I I liked what I saw from him. I, I think he's going to have some good games and some bad games. I mean, for at his age, you know, almost 21, but at 20 years old to put up 50 points, even I don't care that Giannis wasn't in that game. The Bucks have some very good defensive players. Uh, I mean, he's got a, a lot of potential, and I think all of, a lot of his teammates have talked about his potential. But it's what he does, you know, between the ears with it because. You know, Terrence Williams had a lot of potential. Royce White had a lot of potential. Um, granted, we're he, he's beyond that. But I think for him to develop into a superstar player, a, a lot of it is going to be how he matures. You know, if he develops that kind of work ethic to bring it night in, night out. Yes, the, there is concern about his defense. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I would like to see him, like I said, be more aggressive. I mean, that, that game where he, he scored 50, I mean, he was aggressively taking shots. I don't think we see that quite enough with him. He was maybe a little bit too unselfish at times. It's a good problem to have right now. I just, I'm not willing to say Kevin Porter Jr. is the future superstar of the Houston Rockets, but for what it costs them and the role of the dice that they're taking, it's it's certainly well worth it. Uh, to me, I think he's he's got great potential and he's shown flashes of it so far, and he's worked well with his teammates and everything since he's been here. So knock on wood, things will continue to go smoothly with him. Yeah, a couple of things. Number one, I get worried about a guy that is on his last legs in the NBA. I mean, this was basically the last chance because 
uh, of what happened in, in Cleveland. And he's got a long reputation prior to the NBA. And with all of that going on during a pandemic, he's at a strip club. I, that's an issue. <laughs> Number one is somebody that just like, I, I just don't want to trust in this idea that, oh, he's the person that you're trusting that might be the face of the franchise down the road. That's what the way people look at him. But to me, it, it's not going to be, you know, well, he could still be a nice role player. I feel like either he's going to be really great or he's just going to disappear in a, in a year or two. And, and I guess that's why I'm betting on him disappearing. Uh, the second thing, David, is when you look at Kevin Porter, um, like I said, the motor isn't there. And then I want to hear stories about, man, but you can't keep this guy out of the gym. And he's the first one there and the last one to leave. I haven't heard these. Have you heard these stories yet? I mean, I just haven't heard that because that was James Harden, right? Yeah. I mean, that's James Harden for sure. And that's why James Harden went from really, really good to great, all, you know, historically great player. Um, and that's what I mean. I think, you know, it's about passion and, and, and maturity and, and him showing that this is what he wants and he lives and breathes it. You know, I mean, uh, all the things that we assigned to Kobe and, and his sort of Mamba mentality. I mean, we need to see him in the offseason here developing his game. I mean, he you can only get so far on just your, you know, the skills that you developed in high school, AAU and in early college. You've got to continue to show to to progress constantly, especially when you're a ball dominant guy who people hope becomes a force in the league. So I'm excited about his potential. Like I said, I think that 50 point game is, is no fluke. I mean, I think he's, he's got that kind of potential, but I mean, the Rockets were just terrible. (laughs) I mean, they were a terrible team. So there's really nothing that on this team that says, Oh yeah, this is the future. Even Christian Wood, who I like a lot. I mean, I, I really love Christian Wood. He's still got to improve defensively. I, I, you know, when they get destroyed um, the way they did in a lot of games, it just goes to show that a lot of these guys um, have growing up to do and, and maturing. And, and, of course, the team needs more talent. But uh, I, I don't think there's anything on the team that you say, oh, yeah, this guy right here, he's untouchable. I don't think there's anything on the Rockets like that right now. Yeah, you mentioned Christian Wood, and that was what I was going to ask you about next because, you know, watching Christian Wood, He's got to get better defensively. He's got to get stronger uh, underneath the glass. He's got to be able to handle some of these guys because, you know, we say it's not a center league anymore, but Jokic, Embiid, Rudy Gobert. I mean, we could start listing off the guys. There's a lot of big guys with a lot of strength and they can do some damage with you underneath. And Christian Wood just gets manhandled way too much. You know, are you like me? If Christian Wood doesn't come in next year and we see a noticeable difference in his strength, and he, he will, I want to see that he worked all offseason to help his lower body out. And it's to me, it's like, well, oh, Christian Wood, he's he should know this. Well, shouldn't he have known this after being in the NBA for the last few years? I mean, it's been off and on, but he's been fighting for a spot. Why would it just be obvious to him now that he needs to get stronger? Yeah, I mean, that's some obviously what I want to see from him. I mean, and I don't want to make it sound like you know, it's all negative with Christian Wood. I think it's very positive. I, you know, um, it was his injury that really kicked off the, the rebuild right away because, you know, 20 straight losses and I think 18 or so of those were with, with him out. And, you know, they were 11 and 10 up, up till that injury. And he was playing very, very well. So to me, he's got to make improvements defensively. As you said, he's got to get stronger. Um, but, but, you know, in, Today's league, even though we saw sort of the center rejuvenation this year, I still think out of a center, you don't need that dump it into the post score guy in this league, especially with the, the way the way scores are just are outrageous right now. I mean, people are putting up 70 or teams, excuse me, are putting up 70, 80 point halves on the regular. You know, the three point shooting has gotten a little bit out of control. So I think you need to have either a stretch five or a five that is truly a rim protector and is a defensive anchor. Um, and if you can have both, then you're in a great position. Wood can stretch the floor defensively. As far as an anchor, I mean, he's got a long way to go to be a, a Joakim Noah or even a Clint Capella type. I don't think he's quite there yet, but he's got the potential. I think he's definitely got the drive. I mean, every time you you hear this guy in an interview, he he wants to be the best player out there. He believes he is the best player out there. So I have a lot of hope for him. I, I wouldn't, I'm not saying, okay, yeah, Christian would let's trade him or anything of that nature. I think he stays barring some, you know, outstanding value, 
But yes, uh, I want to see improvement on the defensive end because you, you can't just roll an offensive um, center out there. I want to see what DeMarcus Cousins saw in him as a defensive player of the year type of candidate. Um, and I don't think he's he's quite close to that just yet. Next guy I wanted to ask you about is KJ Martin. Uh, what is his potential, do you think? Do you think he is a starter on a championship team if he starts to improve enough or is he a backup three, four on a, on a really good team, but let's just even play say a playoff team. You know, what, what, what is his potential? We don't know yet. Honestly, I love what I've seen from him. I mean, I think as far as shot blocking, his instincts are just out of control. Good. You guys, what six, seven, maybe six, eight and leaps as well as anybody I've ever seen. And for him to get some of the players that he's gotten, Gobert, Porzingis, and, and all these different players, you know, huge guys. I mean, his timing on that is fantastic. Can he develop into like a post defender and a, and a terrific one-on-one defender? Uh, that's the hope, right? Uh, but I, I see him as a guy who could stretch the floor, provide a lot of athleticism. And I think the, the Sean Marion comp has probably been the closest to what you would hope out of him. And that would be fantastic, right? For a late second round pick to any, be anything like that. But what was most encouraging uh, for me at, to see from him was his three-point shooting down the stretch. I think the last 20, 30 games, it was around 40%. And I don't think that's a fluke because he's he's starting to you know put up good volume. Um, and he's young. So if if he continues to show that and continues to grow as far as you know, being a mature NBA player, knowing where to be defensively, how to make switches and and all of that, then, yeah, you've got great potential because he's got a quick first step, you know, outstanding athleticism. He's a lot like a poor man's version of, of his father right now, um, hopefully could develop into that type of player that can stretch the floor. I mean, his his dad didn't have that kind of three point shooting ability. It, obviously, it was a different game back then. But that's what I see from him. I don't I don't look at him right now as a surefire starter, but I think he can develop into that. Yeah. His dad, just bigger, stronger, basically yeah. an inside guy. And you mentioned the three point shot, his three point shot got better, but where he's going to have to really improve a lot is, you know, it's easy to hit three point shots when they're just leaving you wide open, but it, it's that other level, David of, you know, if he gets a little bit better, all of a sudden, you know, he's going to have guys in his face when he's shooting those three-point shots. And that's where, you know, you turn into a guy that you can really trust out there uh, to shoot the basketball and, and not be. And also, I also want to talk about like, you know, finishing around the basket. You know, we go, oh, he's a great finisher because he dunks the ball with authority and he can explode and everything. But I want to see him get better when he can't dunk the ball. Cause sometimes you can't just jump over somebody like Superman. And there's a lot of times, David, where I would see him get close to the basket. And he's like, Oh, I just can't jump over this guy or I can't get past him so I can jump up and dunk it. And he didn't seem to know what to do there. There's some skills that he's going to have to learn that these guys used to have to learn in college and they don't get a chance to do that anymore. And obviously, you know, he really didn't get that experience at all. Well, you know, you, you mentioned a guy, we, we talked about Robert Ori earlier, and I'm not comparing him to Robert Ori, but I think, you know, Ori filled a role on championship teams because, you know, he could stretch the floor. He could provide some defense, especially weak side shot blocking and could get some rebounds. It was, was long, uh, could dunk the ball, a terrific dunker. I, again, I think right now I'm looking at him as filling a role and providing that type of spark. But yeah, I mean, there's question marks, no question about it. Um, but I mean, he, again, he's 20 years old. That's extremely young uh, by NBA standards. So if you're not seeing these guys, same thing goes with Kevin Porter Jr. By 23, 24, if they're not developing, then then you've got a real problem. But at this age, I mean, that's really young playing against grown men. So, uh, you know, there's there's a lot to be optimistic about really with both players. How much money are you willing to give Kelly Olenek? Well, on a one-year deal, I would be willing to give him a good amount of money, but I, I don't want to see the Rockets sign him long term, at least not at uh, at a good chunk, um, because I just think, you know, you're you're looking at best to just and just trading him later on. Because I would love to have him next year, but I just don't think the Rockets are in a position to, to guarantee anything beyond that. Because Olenek's a role player, um, and he is a, a smart savvy role player, basically a vet, a guy who could teach you. I mean, he reminds me as far as, you know, instincts and, and knowledge of a PJ Tucker. I mean, he could teach the young guys a lot of things, but 
you know, to me, I think that it's more valuable for the Rockets to have cap space, not to sign guys, but to make trades, take on salaries, absorb picks, much much like what OKC is doing. Beyond one year, I, I'm not ready to break the bank for Kelly Olenek. But I do think one one year, and especially where you might be able to trade him midseason to a contender and, and get something, that would be very valuable to the Rockets. And, and I think if, if they're going to get him on a one-year deal, they're going to have to overpay him. He's going to have to get more than he could anywhere else. Yeah, that's what I don't see is why would Kelly Olenek sign with the Rockets if they're giving him anything close to what anybody else is giving. They're the worst team in the NBA. They're not going to be to the playoffs anytime soon. He just was in a finals last year. He knows he's a really good role player on a playoff team. Why would he want to sign with the Rockets? Money. I, I mean, look at like J.J. Redick, uh, look at um, Trevor Ariza, you know, some of the deals that he signed. They end up going to contenders. I mean, they, they, you know, he would know that he probably wouldn't play out the rest of the year with the Rockets. Frankly, if the Rockets had gotten Olenek with more than 30 seconds to spare before the trade deadline, they might have been able to flip him. You know, you give him more money in at least one year than he would ever get. Then he goes to a contending team in some type of some type of trade that could be valuable to him. And then knowing that he can then sign a new deal the next year. But by the way, it's funny. You know, the Rockets were blasted for that trade, the old Depot trade, and it's and, and myself included. I blasted him. And really because it was an, in the entire package because they did do a poor job at valuing Oladipo uh, when they took him on. But they ended up doing quite well for what ended up happening, getting Olenek, who could be really have, making a, a significant contribution to Miami and the rights to swap first-round picks next year, which could be used with Brooklyn's pick, uh, ended up being a, a pretty savvy move by the Rockets. How scary is it if you're the Rockets that you could have – and you – actually gave an offer to Oladipo to sign with Houston for two years. And I think it was $22 million a year and he's out next year now too. Uh, yeah, I, it's bad. It is, but you know what? Uh, I mean, we had a chance to talk to Oladipo right after that report came out and Oladipo was very blunt, said he really had no, he didn't have a chance to really accept that offer. He kind of felt like it was more like a, a formality, like, hey, hey, we know you're not going to accept this extension, but we are, would be willing to offer it to you because we just want to let you know that we value you and, and want you to be around. I don't know if he would have accepted it, but he made it sound like he really had no, you know, there was no official offer and he didn't have a chance to accept it. You know, what, what the truth is, I don't know, but that's what Victor Oladipo said right after that report came out. I know you love to delve into the draft a little bit. I don't know how much you've had a chance to go through some of these guys that are in the draft. I, I don't want to ask you about the top four because okay. I feel like I'm going to just jinx it if I ask you about the top four guys. But what I do want to ask you about, is there anybody with the at least two, maybe three picks that the Rockets are going to have late in the first round that you think, oh, uh, that guy might be on the board, and I really like that guy a lot. And he's going to be somebody that has the potential to be more than just a role player. There is one guy that I actually quite like, um, and it's Chris Duarte out of Oregon. He's he's a little bit older. He's 23 years old, so I think he'll drop for that reason. But this is a really good three-point shooter. He's got good size, and he can defend. He is not the sexy pick because he's not the guy that you know you look at and – and you say, oh, yeah, in three, four years, he's going to develop into this monster. He's actually a very solid player right now. Probably won't get a ton better, but he's he shoots over 40% from three. He can defend. He's 6'6", six, six, a two-guard. I, I look at him similar to how Desmond Bain was overlooked last year and now, and now is playing a significant role with Memphis. Uh, it's early in my assessment, but I like him a lot. I like Corey Kispert as well. I don't think... You know, Kispert is the type of player that is a star. I think he's more of a Joe Harris type, but I think that having that kind of shooting ability is so valuable in today's league. Well, the Rockets wouldn't take him in the top four anyway, but I think he would go before uh, the Rockets pick at 21, 22, or 23, and then they have the 24th pick from Milwaukee. You know, I, I lean towards shooting and defense. Those type of those type of attributes draw me in, and that's why I like Duarte. But there's a lot of guys that I've been looking at haven't necessarily fallen in love with a bunch of them yet, but there's a lot of intriguing candidates out there. I thought with your burnt orange roots, you might say Kai Jones or maybe even Greg <laughs> Brown. Well, Kai Jones is kind of intriguing. I mean, but I really feel like he kind of could use another year personally, but he's athletic. I, I, you know, there's, there's some good potential there. Is he six foot 11? Is that right? 
I, you know, his act, height, I'm not 100% sure, but he's uh, he's definitely on the radar. I mean, I think he's a guy that I would look at for sure. I, you know, there's a lot, I think honestly, in the six to 11 range, there's, I mean, the Rockets wouldn't be there in any scenario unless they were able to trade up or something on those lines. But I think there's guys there that maybe have some, a few red flags, but are quite intriguing to me. Uh, Johnson, the, the forward out of Duke is intriguing. He hardly played anywhere. I mean, there's a lot of knocks on him, you know, didn't last very long at Duke, had some, some of the same issues in high school. So there's some red flags with him, but great size athleticism. I think, he, you know, he's an intriguing candidate as well. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a fun draft. I just, like I said, I'm hoping the Rockets get a top four pick and then they'll have two picks to try to add some significant role players. Is there anybody do you think that would move down for the two Rockets later first round picks, the Milwaukee pick and the Portland pick? So the Rockets might be able to move up a little bit. I don't know if they could get into the lottery in the top 14, but could you convince somebody to get to 15 or 16 or something like that? You know, it's a very good question. I We actually was talking with some friends of mine about that exact thing today, because in the NFL, you've got an actual chart right? That just tells you, you know, the, the the third pick is generally worth these picks. I mean, you've got some assessment of value because the NFL draft is generally speaking so consistent in, in how much talent there is in so many drafts. And the NBA draft, you know, moving up four spots may be nothing or it may be everything because teams may look at it like, okay, this draft goes 15 deep or it goes four deep. And then after that, it's, you know, it's whatever. You really have to get lucky to find a team that is willing to take two lesser first round picks for a higher one. Because just generally speaking, one significant player in the NBA is, is all it takes. You would take one significant player over two role players any day of the week. That's why it's such a hard sell. I mean, I, the Rockets in 2001 were able to trade 13, I think 18 and 23 for the number seven to get Eddie Griffin. And we were all doing cartwheels at the time, you know, and of course it ended up that, you know, guys like Tony Parker and Zach Randolph and Richard Jefferson were all available with those picks, but you know, we were excited to move up into the top seven, but that's what it took. And every draft is different. So I think it would be to answer your question. I think it would be very difficult to do. I think what the Rockets will most likely do, especially if they don't end up in a top four pick and end up falling back to 18 is they could punt one of those draft picks, trade one of them for a future draft pick so that instead of using the asset, they have it as a trade asset and and can go forward. Because I don't know if they want to take three mid to late first round picks on the roster, guaranteed salaries. Yeah, the reason I say maybe move up to 15 is because that's where Kawhi and Giannis were picked. And, you know, it's like, yeah. hey, these guys are MVPs. You could get MVPs at 15 not to mention the Joker, you know, the Joker was pick 41. So you, you go, oh, well, the Rockets, they're screwed. They didn't get in the top four. If you're all upset that that happens in a in a month or so, don't forget, you know, Joker was at 41, Kawhi at 15, Giannis at 15, Jimmy Butler was at 30, uh, Chris yeah. Middleton's at 39. He's an all-star. So yeah, it, it, it we always make a big deal about being high in the lottery and yeah, you get the LeBrons and the Anthony Davises and, you know, players like that. But, you know, these there's guys that slip all all, all the time. Yeah, it, it's absolutely true. And of course, you've got your early, you know, when it gets to the second round and it's not a guaranteed salary. A lot of those guys go in that range. Rockets, you know, would have had the number one pick in the second round, traded it up to get to 24, which is which is great. Um, you know, in, in the P.J. Tucker trade with Milwaukee. Uh, but I think they'll get somebody decent with, with at least two of those mid to late first round picks that they have. Well, they're going to have one in the 21 to 23 range and then one at 24. So I think they'll get somebody, at least one good player out of that. The question is, do they want, you know, do, if they don't get that top four pick, do they really want to be 18, 22 and 24? I don't think so. I don't think there's many teams in the league that would probably stay there. And it, cause if, and if any team would, it would be the Rockets, right? Because they're that, depleted of talent, but they may want to, to punt one of those picks if they could. Well, it looks like we're going to get uh, draft party conditions here. I mean, the world is opening up pretty quick here, David and uh, Rockets draft party <laughs> uh, being, you know, just a couple of months away. I mean, I, I feel like we're going to have Rockets draft parties. Oh yeah. And uh, David Weiner, Bema Thug throws a draft party, even if the Rockets have no draft picks. So this is definitely the year where you know you want to be paying attention because you look at it. Free agency is 
is a no-go for the Rockets this year. There's just nothing special out there on the market. You know, they don't have a ton of cap room. It's irrelevant, um, I think, in my opinion, this year. Trades are always a possibility, but it, the draft ties into trades anyway. You want to stockpile as many draft picks as you can just because they are trade assets if they're not used. And so, it, to me, it's the draft. The Rockets are going to improve. It's the draft. And they become a player if they end up getting a guy like Cade Cunningham or even a guy like Jalen Green, who might be moving to my number two right now. I, I really like Jalen Green. I think he could be really good with the Rockets. It, it really comes down to, to getting lucky here. They need to get the uh, good fortune and get into the top four. Who's going to win the NBA championship this year? My vote is Brooklyn. And I think the only team that can beat Brooklyn is Philly. I'm torn on it as far as you know, what it means for the Rockets and Harden. I kind of like to see Harden win it, but I, you know, I don't want to, to deal with the whole, just how it all came, how it un, all unfolded. Um, and, and it would be especially awkward, right? If, you know, Anthony Davis forced his way to the Lakers, wins a title, James Harden forces his way to Brooklyn, wins a title. But I'm hoping that that sort of is enough for them to maybe disband after a year, a year more. If like, in other words, if they win it, come fall short the next year, they may go, uh, different ways and and in different paths in their career. I've, I've been torn on whether winning or losing is better for the Rockets draft picks uh, long term as far as them winning a title. But that's my pick. How about you? Um, I think the Clippers actually have a shot. I think they do, too. I think they do, too. With Kawhi and Paul George, you got a couple of guys that could defend. Their three-point shooting is out of control. They're, they're really good this year, three-point shooting. Yeah, yeah. And 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 I feel like the, they would have the capability to give Brooklyn, if they get to the championship, uh, some problems. But by the same token, I would say if if Philly gets past Brooklyn somehow, then I I would put Philly over the Clippers. Like if you if you tell me what the matchup is in the finals, I can tell you who might win. But I think this is going to be total totally about matchups in this finals more than any finals that I can remember in a long time. Yeah, I'm I'm more going into these playoffs just wanting certain teams to lose. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I kind of, I, I wouldn't mind if Philly won it because of Daryl Morey. I wouldn't mind if Brooklyn won it because of James Harden. Don't think I want Milwaukee to win it, period. I'm sorry, PJ. And I don't want Miami to win it. Sorry, Trevor. And I don't think Atlanta with Clint Capella, you know, I think they're a solid team. I don't think they have a chance to win it this year. But I would like to see an Eastern Conference Finals between Philly and Brooklyn. Yeah, and that is probably what it's going to be. Milwaukee could give somebody a run. I guess it's going to be Brooklyn if they if they face them. But yeah, I I think you're probably right. That's probably where they're going. Yeah, uh, Clutch fans at Clutch fans on Twitter, ClutchFans.net. You guys know that. But uh, hey, so great to talk to you, David. Thanks so much for doing it. You too, Robert. Thanks for having me on. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.